0: Love us talk radio.
1: Oh boy oh boy it's a long one today um the dnc is known for being uh corrupt and jacking elections uh well now the rnc is getting in on that fun. i mean we already knew they were corrupt but they think it's their turn to jack an election and they're doing it perhaps in an even more brazen way than the dnc did So, we're going to talk about that. Also, there's a grand conspiracy of fossil fuel interests to buy off everybody in the political landscape that they possibly can. And um, I have the specifics for you. They've now officially made it their job to buy off all the centrist Democrats. And they're in the process of doing exactly that. Then we also have. Um, Trump getting caught red-handed with some more absolutely insane corruption. The details of this story are, uh, crazy, and I'll remind you of a situation in the past, and we compare and contrast to today, and what Trump is getting away with, and, um, forget about it, I got too much stuff. Uh, Elizabeth Warren meets behind the scenes with Hillary Clinton, oh boy, And Emma Vigeland got some really good questions in with Elizabeth Warren, Beto O'Rourke, Amy Klobuchar, yada yada, and Pamela Anderson versus uh, Megan McCain. Sit back and relax, baby. Oh, quick, a quick show note for everybody. Um, The next show will not be Thursday; it'll be Friday because the debate is Thursday night, and I want to have a full, comprehensive debate breakdown for everybody. So uh, we're going to do the next show on Friday, not Thursday, where I will do a comprehensive debate breakdown. And, of course, on Thursday night, I will live-tweet the shit out of the debate. So um, come join me, and we'll have fun. Anyway, all right, let's start with what the Republican Party is doing, what the Trump administration is doing. Actually, to be fair to them, it's not specifically them, but it's people, you know, acting because they like Trump. But they're as sycophantic as it gets. So the Republican Party is proving that they're basically the embodiment of the far-right-wing stereotypes that we have of them. (laughs) This is really an insane story. Four states are poised to cancel their 2020 GOP presidential primaries and caucuses, a move that would cut off oxygen to Donald Trump's long-shot primary challengers. Republican parties in South Carolina, Nevada, Arizona, and Kansas are expected to finalize the cancellations in meetings this weekend, according to three GOP officials who are familiar with the plans. The moves are the latest illustration of Trump's takeover of the entire Republican Party apparatus. They underscore the extent to which his allies are determined to snuff out any potential nuisance en route to his renomination, or even to deny Republican critics a platform to embarrass him. Trump advisors are quick to point out that parties of an incumbent president seeking re-election have a long history of canceling primaries and note it will save state parties money. But the president's primary opponents who have struggled to gain traction are crying foul, calling it part of a broader effort to rig the contest in Trump's favor. Okay, so just let's get this point out of the way real quick, because to me it's beyond obvious. Donald Trump has over a 90% approval rating in the Republican Party. No primary challenger is even going to get remotely close to defeating him. So that's obvious. You know, get that out of the way. But the next point is, no, there is no other way to describe that but rigging it in Trump's favor. There's no other way to describe it, because as a matter of principle, in what's supposed to be a constitutional republic and a representative democracy, you should stand on the side of, yeah, if somebody's running against them, you have an election. What are you talking about? What do you mean? So you have multiple people, Bill Weld and Joe Walsh, announcing a primary challenge against Trump. And then you have state Republican parties going, that's nice, we disagree. We are now canceling that election. Okay, if you want to talk about a system where people lose total and complete faith in it, just look at what the DNC did to Bernie Sanders in 2016 and look at what the RNC is doing to the Trump primary challengers today. I'm sorry, but this is the kind of stuff that completely turns people off to politics for the rest of their lives because they go, what's the point? You're pretending like I have a choice. I don't have a choice. You gave Hillary Clinton a giant delegate lead over Bernie Sanders. You had people slipping her the debate questions before the debates, as we learned because of WikiLeaks. We had, in a thousand ways, they rigged the thing against Bernie Sanders and made it so that he couldn't win, and then you're going to act like I should be excited to vote for Hillary Clinton or I should be excited to get involved in politics? Well, if you're making the decision for me, if the establishment is making the decision for me, Why should I be involved at all? Because I'm having no impact whatsoever. I'm just wasting my time. And now, perhaps even more brazenly, you have uh, Trump's people going, yeah, uh, we disagree. There's going to be no election at all. Why would you do such a thing? Why would you? I don't care. They say, oh, historically, this isn't unprecedented because, you know, whatever, Pat Buchanan. I'm not sure how many states said there can't be a primary when it was Pat Buchan- Buchanan versus George H W Bush, but um, they were wrong. <laughs> I love how citing that it was massively undemocratic in the past, they're acting like that's an argument. That's not an argument for your position. I mean, why not go further back in history? Well, yeah, yeah I mean, you guys say democracy is important, but there was a time that we, you know, had people as property and they were slaves, so w- it wasn't a democracy for them. Yeah, and that was bad. <laughs> like, you don't just get it happened in the past, so don't worry about it. Yeah. There's also been, you know, dictatorships and tyrannies and, you know, all types of terrible forms of government. That's not a point. You're just saying, oh, it was also bad. It's been bad for a really long time. Okay, so change it. Not going to allow a primary because you're you're a a sycophant to Trump. Are you kidding me? How obnoxious is that? Especially because we all know Trump is going to curb stomp these idiots anyway. So why not have the election? The vote will be 98% to 2% if they're lucky. And then you move right along. But no, see, listen, what's it really about? They just want to protect his ego, man. They just want to protect his ego. They don't want him to have to look at, oh, 2% of the vote went to Joe Walsh or whoever the fuck. They don't want him to have to see that. Because he's a man-child, and if you don't think that's the case, well, just look at Sharpiegate, which we covered in, you know, I was laughing my ass off when I first read that story, where he had to add Alabama with his little Sharpie to protect his fragile little ego. This is the same shit. We're not going to have it, even though he's definitely going to win. We're not going to have the election because why? Because you want to look out for, you know, your president and make sure his ego isn't bruised. Well, don't turn around and pretend then, because you know they did this, and they're still doing it to this day. They, they uh, you know, they act like <laughs> we're not like the terribly rigged and corrupt DNC. You're canceling primaries and caucuses. <laughs> You're canceling them. You're, and we disagree. Election, schmelection, Even though they announce, even though it's a free country, even though this is how the system works and they can do it, we don't care. We're just going to we're gonna get rid of it. I mean, that's insane, man. Seriously. You want to try to get more people involved in the political process? But hold on now. Maybe that's the point to get people not involved in the political process. To, to make you feel like, well, I have zero power whatsoever anyway, so what the fuck's the point? Maybe that's the whole point, both when the DNC does it and when the RNC does it. Because we know... And when turnout is high in elections, that, that usually helps not just the Democratic candidate, but also the furthest left candidate. Because high turnout means young people turned out and young people um, ideologically are much further left when you look at the numbers. So I don't know, man. Maybe that's the whole point. But either way, this is so obnoxious and this is so insane. And this is legit third world stuff. This is dictatorship stuff. Again, I don't care. I know he's going to win. I'm, I'm not a dumbass. Okay? I understand that Donald Trump is going to win. And he's going to beat Joe Walsh by a mile and a half. He's going to beat Bill Weld. Um, And, again, it's not even going to be remotely close. It's going to be embarrassing. But we live in what's supposed to be a constitutional republic and a representative democracy. You can't just write off that representative democracy part because you don't like it. Because, in reality, you're all sycophants and authoritarians at heart. But that's what it is, man. Don't tell me these state Republican parties aren't sycophants and authoritarians. Because that's exactly what they are. They're canceling primaries and caucuses, canceling an election because they love the president, and they don't want to hurt his feelings by having somebody get in there and get 2%? Are you kidding me? It's embarrassing. The reality show president, man. The reality show president is acting like a goddamn king. I've said it a thousand times. I'll say it a thousand more. Reality is stranger than fiction. (laughs) Donald Trump is president, which is already like... But then also... He's canceling primary elections in his own party. Well, to be fair, not him, but state parties doing it on his behalf because they want to protect him. It's unbelievable. It really is unbelievable. I, and I can't believe – I've been following politics for a long time, man. When I was reading these articles and they were acting like, well, yes, no, we do because this happened in the past. I had no idea about that. And so as I'm reading through the articles, I'm like, I can't believe they're acting like this is a nothing issue. Like, it's like, oh, it's just – it happens. You know, sometimes – In America, you have freedom and democracy, and other times, you snatch that freedom away, and you have no democracy at all, and you say, no, we're not even going to have an election because we don't want there to be an election because we want to protect the person who's in power. So you mean, like, emperor shit? (laughs) You're doing emperor shit, and we're supposed to act like, oh, it's cool, it's just an emperor. What do you mean? There's no problem. It's just an emperor. No big deal, no big deal. Seems like a kind of a big deal to me. So, you know, and by the way, you will notice something here. As you do on probably every other issue at this point, but there will be no principled, you know, opposition from within the halls of conservative punditry. You know, turn on Fox News, see how that goes. They're either going to not talk about this story, or if they do talk about this story, they'll downplay it and act like that's right, no big deal. It's just canceling an election. It's whatever. So, and, and again, this is not doesn't work the other way. When there are people on the left who do something where they mess up, I'll criticize them, but. For a lot of these sycophants in the pro-Trump media and conservative media, shh, daddy's canceling elections? (laughs) Whatever, bro, whatever. I mean, it's not even, it's happened in the past. It's not even a big deal. It doesn't even matter. I mean, what are you going to do, bro? So there will be no principled opposition, even though this is like striking at the heart of what this country is supposed to be. All right, so now we go after the Democrats because there's a story which is pretty much equally insidious here. So The Intercept has a really important article uh, basically about why you shouldn't trust centrist Democrats at all. They haven't earned your trust, and in fact, it's the exact opposite. The Progressive Policy Institute a centrist Democratic think tank that grew out of the party's pro-business wing in the 1980s and 90s, received $50,000 from ExxonMobil in 2018 via its parent organization, the Third Way Foundation, according to the oil giant's 2018 Worldwide Giving Report. ExxonMobil did not return the intercepts multiple requests for comment. In an email, PPI Executive Director Lindsay Lewis said the money was used for general support and that, quote, we only accept general support funding from corporate interests. We only accept general support funding from corporate interests. We do not do paid for work or research or have any donor run programs. Lewis also confirmed that this is the first time ExxonMobil has donated to the Third Way Foundation. Though it's a first, PPI's new donor isn't so dramatic a shift from its fundraising record. The Intercept's uh, Acela Lacey, I apologize if I pronounced that wrong, has also found that Pharma, the Pharmaceutical Research and Manufacturers of America, has annually donated between $25,000 and $75,000 to the Third Way Foundation since 2009, upping its donation to $265,000 in 2016, the same year Medicare for All, which the trade group and PPI both oppose, entered the national spotlight. Donations dipped back to normal levels in 2017. Although documents were not yet available for 2018 when the piece was published in late April. Okay, so before we get into the specifics here, PPI, this is their slogan, radically pragmatic. Now, to an outside observer who knows nothing about the inner workings of the political machine in this country, you look at something like radically pragmatic, you, oh yeah, what's wrong with that? Being pragmatic is good
0: radically pragmatic,
1: saying they're just very pragmatic. I mean, that's what this is. That's good, right? Let me decode that for you from Washington speak. (laughs) What that means is we're against every single social democratic reform that the left flank of the Democratic Party is now pushing for. That's what radically pragmatic means. Now, I would argue, in reality, that which is radically pragmatic are those reforms. It is Medicare for All. It is free college. It is a living wage. That's radically pragmatic because virtually every other developed country has those policies. So there's nothing that's more pragmatic than that. But what they mean when they say it is, oh, my God, anything that's actually left of center is unworkable and pie in the sky, pixie dust, fairy nonsense. And aren't we so serious for wanting to continue to do these bullshit corporatist neoliberal reforms? So that's what that means, okay? But now, going to the specifics. Again, somebody who doesn't know much about politics might go, I don't under- why, would they do? why would they donate to a progressive group? That seems ridiculous. You know, ExxonMobil is going to donate to a progressive group. The pharmaceutical industry is going to donate to a progressive group? I don't get it. Well, you kind of answered your own question a little bit because they're not really progressive. They're corporatist. And what the pharmaceutical industry understands and the fossil fuel industry understands is this. The left flank of the Democratic Party is rising. They have all the energy behind them. And all the energy is behind those specific policy goals like Medicare for All, like a Green New Deal, which would obviously impact the fossil fuel companies massively moving forward. So what they know is, hey, man, we've been propping up the Republican Party for decades. And they're doing their job. They're loyal little sycophants. All they do is represent industry. But we're going to have to be tactical in this bitch. And what that means is we got to get ourselves some centrist Democrats, too. Because they're the ones who swoop in. Their job is at the last minute to go, okay, 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 we get it, we get it. Yeah, Medicare for all is wonderful, and Green New Deal is wonderful, but let's find a middle road. I mean, we shouldn't really do Medicare for all. Let's do a public option. You know, oh, oh, you want to make sure that pharmaceuticals can't, pharmaceutical industry can't rip people off anymore? Mm, Let's find a middle ground. So even though insulin costs six dollars to make per vial, and they're charging three hundred and sixty dollars in the U.S., I know that you want it, so you know it's something reasonable, like fifteen bucks. But how about one hundred fifty? Let's meet in the middle, one hundred fifty. Who's down for one hundred fifty? Can we do one hundred fifty? I so green new deal. I know. I know you want a green new deal. That's wonderful. In the in the in a you know. Within the context of like a decade or something, you want to get off of fossil fuels. That's great. That's great. It's wonderful and stuff. But what if we just, I don't know, just made fuel efficiency standards stricter on cars but still had fossil fuel running the show? Is that a good compromise? We had a good compromise here? This is their whole point. Their whole point is they're the last-ditch effort to, to basically dodge the necessary reforms and keep the status quo functioning to one extent or another. That's their job. Progressive Policy Institute, their whole existence is to gaslight the left and say Medicare for all is impossible, free college is impossible, Green New Deal is impossible. You know, real uh, green renewable technology becoming a massive industry is impossible. You know, don't don't be silly, don't be ridiculous, don't be a pie in the sky fairy dust lefty. That's nonsense. What we need is adult middle ground reforms. And the whole idea of the adult middle ground reform is. A last ditch effort to save the industry and keep the status quo functioning. So that's why big oil would give money to the Progressive Policy Institute. They're not progressive, they're corporatist. And whatever whatever reform they would be in favor of, well it might be a little slap on the wrist to those industries. It's not going to fundamentally undermine their existence. Whereas the left does fundamentally undermine the existence of the pharmaceutical industry and the and you know the for profit health insurance companies. I mean, they do. They do. So if you're if you're in the fossil fuel industry, if you're in big pharma, what do you do? I, I need to have a two pronged approach here. I can't just buy off the people who are in the Republican Party who will 100% do my bidding. I also want to buy off some of the opposition. I also want to buy off. I want to buy off both parties so that when push comes to shove, I know I have. A, I made strong investments here. So I'm not going to be obliterated through policy. It's just not going to happen. Because if you buy off half the Democratic Party when the time comes to actually fight for the Green New Deal, vote on the Green New Deal, vote on Medicare for all, how are they going to get it passed? Half the Democrats are corrupt and bought by the industry. How are they going to get it passed? And this gets to the main issue, which is the corrupting, corrosive influence of money in politics. That blocks every single kind of reasonable reform that we know would work. And this is why people have no faith in their government. Because the government is representing the moneyed interests. The government is representing billionaires. The government is representing corporations. It's not representing Mm you. If it was representing you, you'd already have a living wage. You'd already have Medicare for all. You already have universal background checks on guns. You already have legalized marijuana. Have you ever stopped to think about why is it The people all agree on certain issues, but nothing ever gets done to fix it. It's because of the money. They're not just buying off Republicans, which is bad enough. They got, you know, the Republican Party is just a puppet to corporate America and a socially regressive party. They're just reactionary on social issues and then just a puppet of corporate America outside of that. That's what they are. The establishment Republican Party. Say nothing of the voters, the establishment Republican Party. Gone. Not, not a prayer of them doing the right thing. Democratic Party is supposed to be the opposition. It's supposed to represent the people. It's supposed to, you know, to the extent they raise money, should be raised from reasonable interests. Union workers, lawyers, teachers, things of that nature. Grassroots. But when you have centrist Democrats, radically pragmatic Democrats, they're bought off by the industry as well. And their whole job is to gaslight the left, say, what you want isn't even possible, even though other countries have it. No, it doesn't matter. It's not possible here. It's not possible here. And, oh, let's find the middle road. Don't do Medicare for all. We still got to keep the pharmaceutical industry in control to some extent. We still got to keep the for profit health insurance companies in control to some extent. Don't do a Green New Deal. We need the fossil fuel companies to some extent. So let's find that middle road that allows the status quo to continue and allow these corporations to keep making massive profits. So this is why you do not trust centrist Democrats. This is why you need to be skeptical of all those centrist Democrats because they have no principled opposition to taking donations from fossil fuel executives or billionaires or the pharmaceutical industry or the for-profit health insurance companies They have no substantive opposition to that. So if they're just willy-nilly willing to accept cash from them, well, then guess what? They're going to have to take their phone call when they want to get in touch with them. And they're going to have policy goals in mind. And if you don't have a very solid moral core in this corrupt system, they're going to bend to the will of these companies. Even if they start to believe the propaganda, the propaganda being, oh, it's not even possible to do those left-wing policies, the end result is still you don't get those left-wing policies. Either because the politician is corrupt and they know they're corrupt, or they're corrupted and they don't even know they're corrupted and they just internalize the propaganda and think, well, no, we just can't do Medicare for all. What do you mean? But either way, the end result is the same, which is no serious reform. Middle grounds from now until the end of time. And as we've seen before, what happens when you have a Democratic Party that only gives us these middle ground, corporatist, neoliberal reforms? What happens? That leads to the rise of the fake populist right. Because they step in and go, I'm going to break everything up, and I'm going to reform the system, and I'm going to fight for working people. Now, they're lying, but you've opened up a door to allow the fake populists to gain a foothold because people are so disgusted with the establishment that all somebody has to do is pretend to be anti-establishment, and they get elected over your status quo defending ass. Just ask, Hil- just ask Hillary Clinton. Actually, I retract that. Don't ask her because she's still in denial, but that was the dynamic with Hillary Clinton. So progressive policy institute, my ass cheeks. Progressive policy institute, oh please. More like status quo defending policy institute. Kind of wordy, but we'll work on that. Trump and severe corruption. Um, this is this is great that a spotlight has been sh- shined on this, shined on this, shown on this, shined, shown, whatever. You get what I'm saying. So President Trump is, without question, engaged in severe. Corruption, and it's just now getting exposed. Political reports the following. In early spring of this year, an Air National Guard crew made a routine trip from the U.S. to Kuwait to deliver supplies. What wasn't routine was where the crew stopped along the way. President Donald Trump's Turnberry Resort, about 50 miles outside of Glasgow, Scotland. Since April, the House Oversight Committee has been investigating why the crew on the C-17 military transport plane made the unusual stay, both en route to the Middle East and on the way back at the luxury waterside resort, according to several people familiar with the incident. But they have yet to receive any answers from the Pentagon. The inquiry is part of a broader, previously unreported probe into U.S. military expenditures at and around the Trump property in Scotland, according to a letter the panel sent to the Pentagon in June. The military has spent $11 million on fuel at the Presswick Airport, the closest airport to Trump Turnberry since October 2017, fuel that would be cheaper if purchased at a U.S. military base. The letter also cites a Guardian report that the airport provided cut-rate rooms and free rounds of golf at Turnberry for U.S. military members. Taken together, the incidents raise the possibility that the military has helped keep Trump's Turnberry resort afloat. The property lost $4.5 million in 2017, but revenue went up $3 million in 2018. The same thing just happened with Pence. He went to Scotland and stayed at this property, which was hundreds of miles away from a meeting he was at. So, listen. I don't know how much more clear they can make it. Let's reflect on the facts in this story. The military is making these stops at Trump's golf course and hotel when it's not really in the direct path, and they've never done it before, and they're fueling up at an airport where it's more expensive to the U.S. taxpayer. Why would they stop and fuel up at an airport that's more expensive to the U.S. taxpayer? And why would they stop here when they have never done it in the past? Well, the answer is because they were directed to. Now, why would they be directed to? Well, they end up spending nights at Trump's resort. And when you spend nights at Trump's resort, what happens? Well, the taxpayers got to come in and foot the bill. Oh, we're giving you cut-rate rooms. Who's paying for the room? The taxpayers. Now, by the way, they also say the allowance that they're given when they're at the resort is not that much, and sometimes they have to come out of pocket. So Trump's making out in two ways here. Taxpayers are footing the bill to an extent, and then also when they're not – the U.S. military officials who are there have to pay out of pocket for stuff. So get money that way, too. And, oh, would you look at that? His property, which was bleeding money annually, now all of a sudden, oh, $3 million just fell out of nowhere. Why? Because when you have the U.S. military stay there, when you, have, you bill the taxpayer, and the taxpayer covers it, and there's a lot of people who end up staying there, and it winds up helping him. Now, just... For the record here because we've covered previous stories about this this is not like the one like a one-time thing that trump does no he has repeatedly and routinely made it so that his properties are involved with his official stays other u.s government moves because he knows that he can build a taxpayer and he can make money off of it he knows what he's doing he knows exactly what he's doing by the way, he also floated, oh, there was a big meeting that was going to happen. Oh, oh cool, you've you got to stay on my property when you come here. Okay, now if you think, well, whatever, Kyle, it is what it is. He's a businessman. He's the president. This is, this is par for the course. No, no, no. Jimmy Carter was forced to sell a peanut farm that he had when he became president of the United States. Why? Because the concern is, hey, man, sorry, you're president. You're a public servant. We can't have you profiting from the office. Now, was he? No. But the argument was, this is a violation of the Emoluments Clause because he could conceivably profit from the office. So what's to stop a Saudi prince from swooping in and saying, I'm going to buy your entire peanut farm, and I'm going to give you millions of dollars for it, and then Jimmy Carter gets millions of dollars, and then he does favors for the Saudi government? Theoretically, nothing would be stopping foreign countries from funneling money through President Carter's peanut farm, which he privately owned. So even theoretically that being the case, they said, you got to sell the farm, bro. you got to do it. Now here's Trump, a businessman with, you know, interests all around the world, all around the world, and you have foreign governments funneling money to him through those properties. And you're going to tell me that's not a violation of the Emoluments Clause? Guys, we have direct lines. In the case of Trump's hotel in Washington, D.C., did you know Saudi Arabia overpaid for their stays there? And they also routinely do this thing where they have U.S. service members go to Washington, D.C., and they overpay for their rooms and keep the service members there at Trump's hotel. And then would you look at that? They got away with killing Jamal Khashoggi, and Donald Trump didn't do anything. Didn't even do a slap on the wrist. Didn't even publicly come out against them, and and also gave them a multi-billion-dollar weapons deal as they're doing a genocide in Yemen, where women and children are being killed, and there's a cholera outbreak, and the country's starving because they're blocking um, one of the ports there. There There's a blockade. So connect the dots, guys. It's not that hard. You got Saudi Arabia and other interests funneling Trump money through his properties, and then he's doing favors for them. The entire time, he acts up, there's nothing to see here, bro. Right, I'm sure Donald Trump just you know, ideologically is massively aligned with Saudi Arabia. No, he used to say that they're responsible for 9-11. Now he's president, and he's giving them everything they want, and they also happen to be funneling money to him through his businesses. Now we have it in this instance. To be fair, in this instance, it's not a foreign government. In this instance, it's the U.S. taxpayer that he's robbing because he's basically making the military stay at his properties, and then billing the taxpayer, and then propping up his resort that way. Don't tell me that – are you so naive that you think, no, it's just they ended up staying at this place which they never stayed at before and spending more for fuel because they – they like golf? What other reason could there be? What other reason could there be? And, of course, today he's on Twitter, classic Trump, deny, deny, deny. He goes – he's like, I have have nothing to do with this. I don't know. Uh, You know, I – I don't know what you're talking about. It's one of those things. It's like, dude, what other reason could there be? What other reason could there be for this? Seriously. It's just so obnoxious. And it's so corrupt. And he's hosing U.S. taxpayers. He's taking money from foreign governments and doing their bidding. And nothing's happening. Now, to be fair, there are like a a few emoluments cases going through the court system, but one of them was already dismissed. There are others, but one of them was dismissed. And it's like, this is insane. This is what happens when you have conservative partisan capture of the courts too, because he's appointed so many judges that a lot of these judges, conservative judges, are just going to be like, yeah, nothing to see here. He's on my team, so I'm just going to defend it. It's insanity, man. It really is insanity. And again, this is that stuff that, like, who has hope? And who wants to participate in this system when they see how rotten and grotesque it is? And, you know, the response is, who do you believe? Me or your lying eyes? Like, that's their response, basically, here. No, Don, I'm sure that, you know, you're. they're diverting military planes to stay at your fucking golf resort, which is sinking financially because there's some pure reason. No! You're trying to prop it up. God damn it, man. It should be, I mean, it kind of is crystal clear with the emoluments clause, but we should make it even more clear. There should be a law that says when you're president, while you're president, you can't own or operate any private business. You're a public servant now. You're a public servant now. You're, you you want to still maintain ownership? And by the way, they lied about that, too. Trump's, oh, it's in a blind trust and something. What? That's not what a blind trust is. He's letting his kids run his businesses. That's not a blind trust. <laughs> they called it a blind trust. It's not a blind trust. But he made it seem like, oh, yeah, I'm distancing myself from my businesses. No, you're not. Your kids are still running it, and you still make profit from it. It's all this utter bullshit, this nonsense, this weaselly garbage. And this is also... Why, you know, I was always skeptical when you hear conservatives say the talking point of, like, the government should be run like a business. Well, now you have a businessman in control of the government, and would you look at that, it's corruption galore. Corruption all day long. Because he's still a businessman, and he's a president, and he's using his office to profit. So don't you run government like a business. It's fundamentally a different thing. It is fundamentally a different beast. Note that even if you had Donald Trump divest from all of his businesses and make no profit and have no private businesses while he's president, it's still a bad talking point. Because it's not, you're not trying to make a profit. It's a different skill set to govern a country. God damn it. He's Just profiting from being president and robbing the taxpayer blind and also profiting because other foreign governments are paying him and he's doing their bidding, basically as corrupt as it gets. And I told you guys early on, one of the things about Donald Trump That he would never state publicly, but it was crystal clear, is that he actually wishes in his heart of hearts he was Hillary Clinton. Why? Because the establishment loves Hillary Clinton. And all Donald Trump wanted was the approval of that establishment. The rich elites who pat him on the head and say, Good job, Donnie. Hillary Clinton had the approval of the establishment, still has the approval of the establishment. All Donald Trump wanted was the acceptance of that cocktail crap. And now. In a horrible twist of irony, we have Donald Trump as president acting more Hillary Clinton-ish than Hillary Clinton. They had their Clinton Foundation massively corrupt. Anybody who says otherwise is full of shit. We've gone through the specifics of why the Clinton Foundation was corrupt on this show. Uh, There are incredible details on that. But this is an instance of Donald Trump out Hillarying Hillary, profiting from all of his private businesses in a variety of different ways as he's president. Serving the country my ass cheeks. He's doing the opposite. Okay, next. Trump will continue to out-petty himself, which is uh, previously thought impossible, but get a load of this one. So we have yet another story here that highlights the legendary levels of pettiness from this administration, and particularly from Trump himself. The New York Times states, the Justice Department has opened an antitrust inquiry into the four major automakers that struck a deal with California this year to reduce automobile emissions, according to people familiar with the matter, escalating a standoff over one of the president's most significant rollbacks of climate regulations. In July, four automakers, Ford, Volkswagen, Honda, and BMW, announced they had reached an agreement in principle with California on emission standards stricter than those being sought by the White House. The announcement came as an embarrassment for the Trump administration, which assailed the move as a PR stunt. Now, the Justice Department is investigating whether the four automakers violated Federal antitrust laws by reaching a deal with California on the grounds that the agreement could potentially limit consumer choice, those people said. The Justice Department declined to comment on the investigation, which was reported by the Wall Street Journal. All right, so let me break this down in simple terms for you. What businesses are not allowed to do, okay, or at least in theory, oftentimes I think the government lets the businesses get away with this, but at least in theory, uh, businesses can't collude and, and price fix. So you can have, you know, different companies as part of the same industry get together and say, let's do, for argument's sake, let's just use the, uh, you know, the internet industry. You can't have all the internet providers get together and say, okay, so we all agree, right? Nobody drops their price below $200 for the minimum level of uh, of an internet connection, you know, low-speed internet connection, relatively speaking. Um, and they all get together in a smoke-filled back room and they go, agreed, nobody drops below $200. Because that is, that's an anti-competitive practice, which makes it so that they're basically all agreeing to price gouge and they're screwing over the consumer. So that's, you can't do that, okay? What Donald Trump and his administration are claiming is, by having car companies – Get, work with California where California says, hey, man, come on, we got this climate change problem, we got pollution as an issue, let's work together, let's figure something out in terms of fuel efficiency standards that make sense, that are reasonable. What the Trump administration is doing is saying, no, I, Donald Trump, repealed the fuel efficiency standards left by Barack Obama, and I'm against them. But not only is that the case, if you decide to act and work with the state government to reach intelligent fuel efficiency standards on your own, I'm going to sue you and act like all the uh, private car businesses were colluding and basically price fixing or doing an anti-competitive move here. I'm going to sue you and effectively try to force them to have shitty fuel efficiency standards. Bro, what are you? Kidding? So not only is he against the fuel efficiency standards in terms of the law, he also wants to force those car companies to have shitty fuel efficiency standards and not even allow them, on their own volition, to say, oh, we want to lower the prices, and or excuse me, not the prices, we want to lower, we want to have better fuel efficiency standards. Excuse me. Do you understand how insane that is? Do you understand how? over-the-top petty that is, you know what a a different, more reasonable conservative would do? Even if they say, hey, man, I'm against the fuel efficiency standards as a matter of principle because I don't think the federal government should get involved in that. I don't think it's the federal government's business. Whatever. Let's say there's Mitt Romney or somebody would argue that. They probably would. But would Mitt Romney try to sue the car companies because they voluntarily said we're going to meet better fuel efficiency standards when they worked with California? No anything, they'd be happy. They'd say, oh, this is a great example of, of my ideology working. The federal government didn't do the right thing, but the state government stepped up, and they worked together with the car companies, and they reached those better fuel efficiency standards anyway. It's almost like Trump is saying, even if they voluntarily decide, even not working with a state, just on their own, if a car company decided, I want to have perfect fuel efficiency standards, he would say, no, how dare you? I want you to have shitty fuel efficiency standards. So it's almost like he's literally pro-pollution, and he wants to force them to pollute. He wants to force them to be worse for the environment. I've never seen levels of petty like this. Well I guess Sharpie Gate was this equal to this level of pettiness, but this is extreme. And think of the consequences too. So this is Donald Trump saying, well the federal government should have no say on the fuel efficiency standards, but even the states I'm gonna block from having any say on the fuel efficiency standards and I'll sue the car companies if they want to improve it on their own. So not only he doesn't believe in in you know the federal government reigning supreme and setting laws but he's even against states rights he even doesn't want states rights he just wants to force car companies to have shitty fuel efficiency standards to make him feel good to make him feel like he did something wonderful i don't know to make him feel like you know they're doing his bidding they're not going behind his back to set those fuel efficiency standards working with respective states Whatever it is, man, it is that is insanity. We're talking about sheer insanity here. It's so hard to wrap your mind around the fact that he did this. Any other Republican president, even if they were against the fuel efficiency standards at the federal level, they would have let the states do it. Of course they would have let the states do it. You're going to go – I, I can't even imagine the reaction from, these, from the executives at these car companies when Trump did this. They were probably like, are you – what? You're suing us because we want to voluntarily have better fuel efficiency standards? Are you fucking crazy? How crazy are you? That's insanity. Let me give one analogy here to explain to you how insane this is. Let's say hypothetically it's just pre-seatbelts. And there's a Democratic administration that mandates seatbelts need to be in every car. New rule, new regulations, seatbelts in every car. Then the Republican administration comes in after and says, wrong, we disagree, no seatbelts. We're going to get rid of that law. You don't need to – it's not mandatory anymore for the car companies to make, make cars with seatbelts. And then the car companies go, okay, cool, federal government's off our ass, no problem. But they work with a the state. They work with California. And in California they say, hey, listen, guys, could you please for our state have those seatbelts in there, mandatory? Well, that would be nice if you did that. And they say, forget mandatory, voluntarily we will put our seatbelts in our cars – but, uh, you know, for the state of California, and we'll meet those fuel efficiency standards. And then the Republican administration steps in and goes, I'm now suing you because it's anti-competitive, because four car companies decided to put seatbelts in. That's an anti-competitive practice, and how dare you? We're going to sue you. You're suing them for voluntarily putting seatbelts in? How? Why? What? That's exactly what this is like, except get rid of seat belts, put in fuel efficiency standards that are reasonable. You, it's amazing because he has no ideology, he's totally vapid in terms of his ideology. Just total airhead, doesn't deeply believe anything. But what he does function off of is just personal slights. If he perceives something that you do As a personal slight, he's coming for your head. And vice versa, if you praise him and he thinks you like him, you get anything you want. He is the most petty, unfit, unserious person. I mean, it's kind of embarrassing how childish he is. And I'm not kidding, like, if somebody, and this is why, like, a lot of leaders have taken advantage of this. I think Netanyahu is probably the best example of this. He just sucks off Trump 24-7, and then Trump's like, Israel, tremendous, unbelievable, give them whatever they want, give them Jerusalem, everything, give them whatever. Like, that's all you have to do. So anything he perceives as a slight, even the car companies voluntarily deciding, sure, we're going to have better fuel efficiency standards. He's like, how dare you? I got rid of the rule, I said, no fuel efficiency standards, and now you're going to stand me in the back like that? What a little bitch, man. Him and Chrissy Teigen were actually going at it on Twitter earlier today. And um, he called her out and said, like, John Legend and his very filthy mouthed wife or something like that. And and she responded and was like, what a pussy-ass bitch. (laughs) He tagged everybody else but her. She was like, you couldn't even tag me. What a pussy-ass bitch. That's so true, man. This story is pussy-ass bitch to the max. It's unbelievably petty and silly and ridiculous. And the consequences are dire because it's going to add to pollution. And it's a terrible policy that he's basically forcing them to have shitty fuel efficiency standards. Okay. Here we go. Elizabeth Warren and and, um, Hillary Clinton. Some cringeworthy news from the campaign trail. NBC says that Elizabeth Warren has been in touch with Hillary Clinton behind the scenes of the 2020 race. Uh-oh. Uh-oh, SpaghettiOs. So there's no good reason for this. I was trying to come up with one. Like, let me think of every possible angle I could look at this from. Let me try to evaluate it from every possible angle. And here's what I came up with. Best case scenario, best case scenario is I'm trying to appease the centrists. That's best case scenario. And this is, simil- this is why I think Bernie, for example, even though he does basically say, like, yeah, I'm a threat to the Democratic establishment, he doesn't, he doesn't go over the top in making that case, and he doesn't, like, hammer it home relentlessly. It's not a normal talking point of his, because I think Bernie actually is trying to appease the establishment and the centrists, where leaving him enough room where he can trump a primary. That's what I think Bernie's doing. With Elizabeth Warren, the best possible scenario of, oh, I met with Hillary Clinton, oh, we stay in touch from time to time, best case scenario is, oh, let me try to appease the centrists because I don't want them stepping on my candidacy either. That's best case, okay? Which is still, by the way, not a great reason because that's – you're really going the extra mile here, aren't you? Like, you could still try to appease the Democratic establishment without necessarily directly reaching out to Hillary Clinton. What? But there are – other reasons why she might be doing this that are not the best case scenario. Here's some other possibilities. She's actually interested in Hillary's opinion on strategy, campaigning, policy. I mean, that's possible. It's possible she thinks there's some value in getting Hillary's opinion on a variety of different things. To which I would respond, the only value there is in that is to do the exact opposite of whatever her advice is for you which sounds like a snarky thing to say, but I'm being completely honest. The only value in that is, oh, you think I should do X, Y, and Z? Great, I'm going to do the opposite. But it's possible that she actually thinks there's some value in, oh, you know, tell me what your priorities are or tell me what your idea is on strategy, yada, yada, which is honestly a nightmare. Um, Another possibility is she wants her in the administration. Now, some people seem to think, and a lot of replies to me on Twitter were like, VP? To which I respond, no. I think there's no way.
2: There's no way! No
1: way. Elizabeth Warren's instincts are that bad. You're going to pick Hillary Clinton for VP after she lost to Donald Trump, possibly the only person in politics who could lose to Donald Trump, and you're going to add her on your ticket? I I think there's no way, hear me now, quote me later, there's no way Elizabeth Warren will pick Hillary Clinton for VP. That would be political ineptitude that's legendary. Maybe unmatched in human history other than Hillary Clinton's failure to Donald Trump in 2016. There's no way. Not even close. No way. Is it possible some other position in the administration, though? Sure. Sure. Is it possible that Elizabeth Warren is wheeling and dealing behind the scenes? Absolutely. I mean, that's what she did in 2016. Hillary Clinton played her, by the way, in 2016, because they approached Elizabeth Warren and said, oh, we're considering you for VP, we're gonna, and we're going to vet you. We'll get back to you soon. And then what happened? That was Hillary's chess move to block Elizabeth Warren from even considering endorsing Bernie. Because Hil- Elizabeth Warren thought, oh, shit, I might be Hillary Clinton's VP. So now i got to stay out of this. When before she may have been leaning in the direction of endorse Bernie, because Bernie's more ideologically aligned with me, Hillary's chess move likely was, we know she did it. It's just a question of what the intentions were when she did it. My guess is it's a Machiavellian trick, and it's brilliant, actually, from a political cutthroat uh, you know, viewpoint. She basically kneecapped Elizabeth Warren by saying, oh, yeah, we're considering you for VP. We're going to vet you. Just sit back and relax. We'll get back to you soon. And then what do you do? Take her out of the equation. And she didn't endorse Bernie, and then Hillary barely won Massachusetts. That could have swayed the election if Elizabeth Warren had said, I'm for Bernie Sanders. Um, But in the case of Elizabeth Warren, it's possible that she's reaching out because she wants her to play some role in her administration. Now, Those are a lot of the possibilities. I saved the worst possibility for last. Believe it or not, Hillary being in the administration is not even the worst possibility. Here's the worst possibility. And it says it in the article. Most likely, she's playing nice because, quote, Hillary Clinton would absolutely have influence over a number of delegates to this convention. So superdelegates are not banned. They're on the second ballot now. So the idea is, hey, if this gets to a contested convention, having Hillary Clinton on your side is a wonderful thing, because she is, you know, she basically, Hillary's campaign was the DNC in 2016. That's what we learned. Donna Brazil said as much. The WikiLeaks proved as much. They had say over press releases that the DNC did. The Hillary team had say over press releases that the DNC did. Think about that, man. That's insanity, talk about a rigged game it was rigged against Bernie Sanders it was rigged so Elizabeth Warren probably trying to get Hillary on her side because if it gets to a contested convention she wants to be able to wheel and deal and become the nominee and then of course the idea is well Hillary's going to say what do I get in return for this Elizabeth Warren will say what do you want Now, again, I don't think VP, because that would be the worst political instincts of all time, Um, but any other position in the administration, certainly possible. But either way, listen, what I would say to Elizabeth Warren, it's kind of, it's hilarious right now, because the perception is of Elizabeth Warren, the perception is um, from the media like, oh, now she's got the left on lock. Now she's got to, you know, find a way to get the establishment on her side, get the centrists on her side, and that's what she's got to work on. That's what mainstream media wants you to believe. You and I both know the reality is the opposite. Look at the demographics of the people supporting Elizabeth Warren: college-educated, older liberals, more centrist in their ideology. The people who are deeply, deeply skeptical of her, it's the left base people like you and me, we're the ones who she thinks she has, but she actually kind of lost by not endorsing Bernie in 2016, um, by voting for Donald Trump's bloated, disgusting criminal military budget, by originally voting to approve Ben Carson to be the head of, um, fuck, which, which agency is he the head of again? Housing and Urban Development, I think. But every now and then she drops a little something-something where you're like, oh, God damn it, Liz, what are you doing? What are you doing? Waffling on Medicare for all, whatever it might be. So the media has the narrative exactly backwards with Elizabeth Warren. Then the media narrative is she's got the left on lock. That's obvious. She needs to get the centrist now. And she, she's doing that. She's like, oh, yeah, she thinks she's got the left on lock. I'm just going to get the centrist now. No. <laughs> you need to do the opposite. You need to go after the left base. Now, maybe her thinking is, well, Bernie already has them, so what's the point? I don't know. I don't know. But either way, you ain't gaining any friends on the left, Elizabeth Warren, and you're making them even more skeptical of you. So, you know, proceed at your own risk is what I would say to her. But this is not a good look, and it proves yet again that there's a Machiavellian angle to her. She wants everybody to think she's like uniquely principled and wonky, but no, this is incredibly Machiavellian of you. Because there honestly is no good reason to talk to Hillary Clinton. In the real world, she's the past of the party. She represents a failed neoliberal corporatist ideology, an interventionist ideology, and we've got to move past her. You're bringing her right back into the fray? Are you kidding me? As you pretend like you're, like I'm a the, I'm the left candidate, why are you courting the most establishment figure in the game? This is a terrible idea. Terrible idea. And by the way, the campaign is trying to downplay it. They haven't mentioned this publicly. It's almost like she knows it's bad and it's wrong. She's trying to hide it because they are doing something sketchy, like wheeling and dealing. Like saying, hey, if it gets to a contested convention, you got my back, right? I don't like what I'm seeing and everybody on the left does not like what they're seeing now with Elizabeth Warren. So perhaps the move should be to try to assuage the fears on the left as opposed to further distancing yourself from the left and moving in a more establishment
3: direction. Okay.
1: Alright, let's take a break. When we come back, I got one more on Elizabeth Warren. I got Pamela Anderson versus Megan McCain. I got Rudy Giuliani exploiting the anniversary of 9-11 and much, much more. You don't want to miss any of it, guys. Stay right there. We will be right back. We are back. We are back. I got a bunch of interviews with the candidates to play for you. I don't think they're in order, but nonetheless, we will get to all of them. It includes um, your favorite candidate, Amy Jar, among many others. Elizabeth Warren was asked a really solid question here. This is Emma Viglin's work for uh, Rebel Headquarters. She did a bunch of she did a great job here, asking all these questions. into it in just a second. Um, <clears throat> so I'm going to do the Elizabeth Warren story first, and then actually I'm going to take a break from the direct candidate interviews to go to the Pamela Anderson story. And then the Rudy Giuliani one gets under my skin so much because, they're, again, the propagandists aren't even trying anymore. You have Rudy Giuliani is just acting like it's obvious. That um, 9-11, you blame, like, Venezuela and Iran for 9-11. And that is obviously, as you all know, just batshit crazy. And then um, I got, where's the other one? Hold on. Looking for it now. Oh, yeah, the the Republicans are trying to, the uh, uh, establishment Republicans, I should say, are trying to purge their own party. And um, it ain't going well. (laughs) And also, when they say purge it, there's still going to be so many people that are full of shit and terrible in the party. So it's kind of weird that, like, the people trying to purge it are just as bad as those getting purged, if that makes sense. I think it does. I think it makes sense. Anyway, okay, let's get into it. I don't have my videos in order. She's going to have to bear with me just a smidge. Emma Vigland of Rebel Headquarters asked Elizabeth Warren a really good question about why she voted for a disgusting, bloated military budget. And her non-answer here was fascinating.
4: Uh, have focused a lot on progressive domestic policy. You also voted for a military budget increase in 2017. How does that square with your progressive politics when we're talking about foreign policy? If the question is, do I think we should military budget, the answer is yes. And I know in the Senate Armed Services Committee, I've had this fight over and over. But there's another part to it, too. We need to stop the control over our defense budget that's exercised by the giant defense industry. Um, as you know, we now have a Secretary of Defense who spent seven years as head lobbyist for Raytheon. Um, I asked for some simple conflict of interest rules that he would abide by. For example, not to make decisions that involve Raytheon and Raytheon's bottom line. And he refused. Um, the Republicans confirmed him anyway. but. This is what corruption is all about, putting lobbyists in charge of our government agency, the lobbyists, former lobbyists in charge of the Environmental Protection Agency. This is the heart of corruption. And the moment has come to call it out and to fight back. That's what being in this room was all about.
1: See, that's all fine and dandy, but you didn't answer the question. You didn't even come close to answering the question. So why did you support a bloated military budget, and how does that square with your domestic progressive politics? And then she goes on this long-winded rant, this tangent about, I do think we need to cut the military budget, and um, I asked for some basic conflict of interest rules for the Raytheon guy. That's wonderful, but that wasn't even close to answering the question. Are you going to answer the question? She's not. She's not going to. You want to know why, guys? She doesn't have a good answer. See, this is why journalism is actually so important, and this is why I'm really hard on mainstream media on this show. Because they have such an important job. Their job is to be the watchdog of the powerful. And oftentimes they end up being the lapdog of the powerful. By the way, I didn't. Don't give me credit for that saying. I stole that from Jenk Uger, circa like 2012. But yeah, they're not the watchdog of the powerful anymore. They're the lapdog of the powerful. And it's fascinating when you actually see a good question asked. It's fascinating because they're so not used to being challenged that they don't know how to react when they are challenged. So basically, she just went into this tap dance trying to prove her progressive bona fides, bona fides. It's a weird word. I don't know how to say it. You're right. (laughs) She's trying to to prove it, and it's just falling short because you did a kneel from the Matrix-style dodge of a very basic, straightforward question. The reality is, guys, she has no good answer for the same reason she has no good answer why she approved Ben Carson to be the head of Housing and Urban Development. Um, in the first vote, second vote she didn't She was against it, but that was only after hearing that massive outcry But what would lead a human being with a functioning brain to say Yes, Ben Carson for head of housing and urban development In the first place, should have never said that By the way, another area where Elizabeth Warren should be asked about She did an interview with Jank Uger, And in that interview, she said in no uncertain terms That come the general election, I'll take big money And she said, I don't believe in unilateral disarmament. Well, guess what? The left is not going to tolerate that. They're not going to stand for that. Because basically, if if you agree that corporate PAC money, big donor money is corrupting, well, then you believe that. And so you don't get to pick and choose and say, I choose to not be corrupt in the primary, but then in general, I'll be corrupt. Fuck it. And that's that's effectively what she's saying. So, you know, that's massively concerning to the left. Rightfully so. So there are many, many questions about Elizabeth Warren. And um, it's unfortunate. You would hope she'd have a better answer. You would hope that she would be like, well, listen, the reason I supported it is because there was one very important provision, and that important provision, I don't know, you fill in the blank, gave necessary body armor to people in the direct line of fire in Afghanistan, Whatever, something more convincing. There was nothing. You want to know why? Because you can't spend it. it was a terrible vote. God damn it. And the, Demo- the Democrats, are they do this all the time. They did it with, uh, you know, they, they spent months calling Donald Trump Vladimir Putin's puppet on a Manchurian candidate president. And then they immediately turned around and voted to give him more NSA spying powers. You just said he was doing Vladimir Putin's bidding and he's a Manchurian candidate. So I guess you want Vladimir Putin to be able to spy on all of us? Again, I'm using your line of thought. This isn't mine. This is yours. You know, again, if you think he's such a lunatic madman, he shouldn't have his finger on the red button, and that's why I'm going to vote to give him a $100 billion increase in military spending. What? See, this is the mic resistance. That's not real resistance. That's Mick resistance. You make noises with your mouth, and then you go and serve them with your policies. That's not okay. So terrible answer from Elizabeth Warren. But she knows it was terrible. That's why she tried to immediately go into a tap dance of like, no, I'm I'm a lefty. I'd cut military spending. Another letdown. Again, I said it in an earlier segment. I'll say it again now. The media keeps telling Elizabeth Warren, oh, in order for you to, you got to reach out to more centrist establishment voters now because you've got the left on lock. Everybody in the real world knows it's the opposite. The demographics that support her the most, college-educated, older liberals, that demographic is more centrist. Who she needs is the base, and she's not doing a good job reaching out to them. She's just giving them more and more reason to be concerned, and it's a shame. Alright, Pamela Anderson versus Megan McCain. Pamela Anderson went on The View and uh, she ended up sparring with them about Julian Assange. Kind of sparring with all of them, but most notably Megan McCain. Let's watch.
5: Okay. Guy, I mean, he's obviously ruffled the photos of some very powerful people, and powerful people want just to keep his When you were visiting him, he was allegedly kicked out of the Ecuadorian embassy because he was defecating everywhere and creating messages. No, not then there was video of, of things that happened. I, I mean, I don't know if you were in the room for really quick here Well, I wouldn't you. be a cyber terrorist, which he is. <laughs> <laughs> information Cyber terrorist! national security at risk or military. You know, the national security diplomatic military. How how many people have the, the military American so. government killed innocently and how many have wiki likes So you think the military is putting the government at risk? The how many internationalized crimes? Oh, calm down, sir. For real. I, I, I'm actually genuinely sorry for my relationship with him. War crimes need to be punished, and they haven't. The, the war crimes that he's exposed, no one's done no anything about it. But so they put him in jail to shut him up. this 210 video of the helicopter right. fire killing civilians in Iraq? Yeah, well, that's one thing, but there's so many other things that he's exposed. And it's not just America, he's exposed, he's exposed oh. Russia, he's exposed all sorts of things to that country. That's a controversial area, Russia. A lot of people say that. Yeah. Uh, that the, the, the Mueller report. Uh, that he, that the interfered in the 2016 election by conspiring with Russia yeah. to, uh, by releasing hacked uh, hack emails, hacked emails, right. uh, which hurt Hillary Clinton. It's almost like, is he responsible for giving us Trump? I mean, his no, timing way is the way of doing But, you know, Hillary Clinton is, is responsible for Trump. He's well, the one that that's claiming, though, what? Is he a Trump supporter? No no, no, no. I mean, why, why, would, why, he people think why would he help Trump? Well, he wasn't helping Trump. He was trying to tell the American people true information that Hillary Trump. Clinton was doing so, so he could make an educated choice. And I second. think FBI kind of put the nail in that coffin. But do you mean to tell me that he had nothing on Trump? Come on. And that didn't get released? I don't know. I don't know if he had something on Trump, he would have put it out there. How could it? But he had to repeat her emails. The question I is, what would you say to... I know doesn't I mean everything should be the question I have though is like spies that go out and put their lives at risk, like Congressman heard who we were just talking about, who's dedicated, you know, decades of his life to helping fight terrorism. Of that information I believe is classified for a reason. I do have some faith in the U.S. Uh, government, although as a conservative I have less faith normally than liberals do. So what would you say to the spies who are putting themselves at risk for a national security with your relationship with him? Well, I don't think he, there's nothing proven that he's actually put anybody at risk. Um, they've, they've gone through this over and over again, and I just I think that people like Edward Snowden, Chelsea Manning are heroes, and and Julian Fong is a publisher. Who don't you think that? what is happening and there's so many awful war crimes that need to be exposed. And you know, he really his his whole intention is to stop these senseless wars. War is a business. It doesn't help us, it doesn't help anybody. And I think he really a lot of people, being in France, being in Canada, aren't too happy with America and how they meddle into everybody's business and start all these senseless wars. But so, he's so, meddling in everybody's business, too. Well, he's exposing, but he's not saying his oh, opinion. I he's can't, giving away some I guess that you can send him a whistle. Well, whistle. Whistle. well he's, he's but a whistle dangerous. Yeah. But he's a publisher, and he's a whistle. He's a whistleblower, and he is a whistleblower. He certainly stirred up a lot. Yeah. Well, he's of, a um, cyber terrorist. I'm I'm okay. Okay. I won't I'm gonna put on. I'm not All gonna right. stand by this. It's ridiculous. <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous.
1: Okay, I have a very simple and straightforward message for Megan McCain. Just because you you talk in a scornful tone doesn't mean you're right. She tries to replace substance with like smug condescension and acts like that somehow makes what she's saying more intelligent. That's her whole trick. Go back and watch that again. She does this thing where she like, she puts on like this serious face, like I'm not taking any nonsense face. And then she's just incredibly smug and condescending and thinks that that makes the substance of what she's saying more serious. And it's kind of embarrassing to watch. Um, So let's run through it. There's so much here. Um, First of all, the entire panel seems to be against her. And I got to say, man, she does a wonderful job jousting with them. I've now watched this three times. And, you know, the first time I wasn't sure. Then the second and third time you pick up on finer little points where she really just knows the material much better than they do. And she kind of runs circles around them. And they have nothing but, like, stale talking points of things they heard that have not been verified or backed up at all with the evidence. So let's run through it. First and foremost, um, he's a cyber terrorist. (laughs) Cyber terrorist? What does that even mean? (laughs) He's beheading people in video games?
0: (laughs) He's a cyber...
1: Listen, no, 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 I, I gotta... Let me be fair. The definition of, like, a cyber terrorist in my mind would be, okay, if somebody gets our nuclear codes, and gives them to Al-Qaeda. And, you know, that's, their whole, that's the whole thing that they did. They got our nuclear codes, they turned them over to Al-Qaeda, they did it all through the computer, and that was that. Yeah, I'd be comfortable calling that person a cyber terrorist, for sure. Julian Assange did not do that and would never do that. Um, and he, he did not put our soldiers or our spies at risk. That's a nonsense talking point that they, they're scrambling for anything to attack him with, and that's what they came up with. Um, And you got to remember, guys, the reason the Trump administration is going after him is specifically because he exposed war crimes of the U.S. government. And they briefly touched on that there, but that point really should have been harped away on because it's incredibly important. That's why they hate him. That's why they're coming after him, is because he showed our soldiers massacring civilians laughing at it and then doing something that's called a double tap. Which is circling back around and killing the first responders well come to find out it was uh media people civilians who were massacred and then they killed you know the first responders as well who were not terrorists and the whole time they're laughing about it and giggling it up and guess what you know who went to prison the person who released that video and that information about u.s war crimes to julian assange who then released it to the public so in other words Chelsea Manning went to prison. You know who didn't go to prison? The people massacring civilians and then laughing about it in the video. Weird world we live in, huh? And people like all the hosts on The View there, specifically Meghan McCain, especially Megan McCain, There, they think that Julian Assange is the criminal for releasing that video and Chelsea Manning isn't a hero for releasing that video and they're defending US intelligence agencies and the war crimes of our government. No, no, no. See, this is why the Pentagon Papers were so important, and Daniel Ellsberg today is viewed as a hero. Because he exposed the war crimes in Vietnam. And hindsight is twenty twenty. When you put enough time between the war and the action of Daniel Ellsberg, people go, Oh yeah, you know, he was kind of right. I mean, proving that we're Napalming and, and using Agent Orange on innocent uh, villagers and, and peasants, landless peasants in Vietnam. Yeah, he's showing that we're doing war crimes and that we should stop doing them. And now we all go, oh, that guy's a hero. Well, Chelsea Manning did the same goddamn thing. It's the exact same thing, except change the war. And still, you got Megan McCain and the idiots on the view because they can't get over that Julian Assange released information that showed how deeply corrupt Hillary Clinton is. They can't get past that. And so now all of a sudden they think he basically deserves to be locked up. And it's unbelievably pathetic. So that's the main point. He exposed war crimes and that's why the government's going after him. Um, And then I loved when Pamela Anderson said Hillary Clinton is responsible for Trump. Well, yeah, first and foremost, because she couldn't beat him, (laughs) which should have been incredibly easy. But second of all, yeah, the Pied Piper strategy. It was the DNC. It was Hillary Clinton. And they said, let's act like Trump is the, is the best candidate on the Republican side because in their mind, they thought, oh, that's the easiest path to nomination for us, to victory for us, is if Trump's the nominee, we're definitely going to win. So let's prop him up. Say, oh, yeah, Trump, oh, so serious. Oh, yeah, he's the one. He's the one. And, that, and the chickens came home to roost at some point on that. And then the final point is when Meghan McCain,
0: <laughs> when she says –
1: Um, Pamela Anderson goes, well, Chelsea Manning and Edward Snowden, these are heroes. Chelsea Manning exposed war crimes and then basically put her life on the line and and spent time behind bars and was tortured all to give the American public information that we should have seen and should have never been classified in the first place. Edward Snowden showing everybody, hey, guys, we have this Fourth Amendment thing, which is supposed to protect you from unreasonable search and seizure. But hey, look at that. The NSA is spying on all of you. Taking all of your metadata. Total violation of the Fourth Amendment. So, Pamela Anderson rightly says they're heroes. And what does Meghan McCain say? Putin also thinks that. Dog, what? No, 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 no. She has nothing but, like, she's like an amalgamation of shitty mainstream talking points that she just vomits out in a scornful tone and thinks that she's intelligent when she does it. Honestly, one of the most embarrassing people on TV, if not the most embarrassing person on TV. Because she's not even good at this. Like, it's one thing if you're playing this role of shitty propagandist, but you're good at it. You're not even good at it. Listen, you're part of the Lucky Sperm Club. Your dad is John McCain, and that's the only reason why you're, anybody even knows who you are right now. And she's just not equipped for this shit, man. Holy shit. He's a cyber terrorist. There, I said it. She acts like she's saying something, like, edgy. You're just repeating the establishment fucking bullshit establishment bubble wisdom to protect to protect centers of power in American political life. That's not edgy. That's really stupid and dumb and wrong. But that's oh, there's nothing worse than that, in my opinion. It's like, it's one thing to be wrong. It's another thing to be wrong and smug about it. And it's another thing to be wrong and smug and, like, Pretend like it's also edgy when it's not edgy. Like Pamela Anderson is the one taking the edgy position of the truth teller who's like letting everybody know uncomfortable truths. Like, yeah, no, spies were threatened. Julian Assange did the right thing by releasing all this information. Edward Snowden and Chelsea Manning are heroes. But like she repeats, like the CIA would pat her on the head like, ooh, thank you, our little puppet. Thank you for repeating all this stuff. And she acts like she's edgy. I'll say it. He's a cyber terrorist. Putin would say that too. Oh, God damn it. I feel like I need a shower after watching a back and forth, including Meghan McCain. (laughs) She really needs to reel it in with that like fake, serious look and angry, scornful tone. It's so over the top. It's like like you could tell she's not even listening to anything that the person is going to say. And it's just she's waiting to talk. That's it. She's waiting to hear her own voice and repeat her bullshit talking points, but she's got that look like, like I'm going to tell you. You're going to tell me what? The same bullshit you've been vomiting out for the past two and a half years? Yeah, we don't want to hear it. <laughs> we don't want to hear it because we all know what you're going to say before you even say it. It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. Have it an original thought. Do so you think she's like doing good by the memory of her father? And by the way, she will not hesitate to let you know that my dad, my dad, my father, my father, I don't know if you guys have seen that on Twitter, but there's this viral video that went around of Meghan McCain just nonstop. My father, my father, my father, my father, my father, my father, my father. Well, that is why she's where she is, so at least we can agree on that. All right, got some more for you, bitch. So Rudy Giuliani is using the anniversary of 9-11 to scapegoat his current enemies, the current enemies of this administration. Um, And these are the places that he wants to do regime change next. Take a look at this. This is incredibly cringeworthy.
3: not over. This isn't Pearl Harbor. It will someday be Pearl Harbor. In other words, the thing that caused it will be solved. In that case, Japan, Germany, Italy. Uh, The people who killed us then, that movement is still alive. And it's killing us today. And doing our soldiers in Afghanistan, or doing terrorist acts. uh, And when I talk about that, I talk about it broadly. I'm talking about the Islamic extremist movement. Iran typifies it. Ha! quarter of it, the biggest funder of it, um, killing people every day inside Iran, and trying real hard to kill people outside they Iran. They killed hundreds but, of our guys we in still, Iraq. You still have the bad Taliban, the really bad Taliban, and the middle Taliban, and we have forms of al-Qaeda and ISIS. And got, for example, in the middle of South America, the, the three or four of the major terrorist groups, Islamic terrorist groups, are involved in the drug trade. They're involved in making money with the drug dealers. Where? In um, the triangle that would that would involve um, Ecuador. It would involve um, Venezuela. Venezuela generals are involved in the drug trade, and they're hiding terrorists in Venezuela, which is one of the reasons we have to get rid of Maduro. Maduro, we think of Maduro as just being a problem. Isolated there. You, you get a, a hostile regime like that, an insane regime like that, and the terrorists take advantage to. The point is the movement is still going on.
1: Dog, they're not even trying anymore. Not even trying. Anybody who has any political knowledge whatsoever, I don't care if you casually follow the news one day a week. You should have enough political knowledge to know that every word of that was complete horseshit. I mean, come on, man. Seriously? Okay, let's go through this. (laughs) He says, first he says, well, you know, and this is all for the anniversary of 9-11. That's what this whole segment is about. And he says, well, you know, the Islamic extremist movement is still around. Well, yeah, it is. And so maybe you should ask yourself if the whole war on terror was worth it when... In some places, there are more terrorists today than there were before we even invaded. So if the whole goal was, we're going to defeat terrorism, well, you kind of made it worse with the whole war on terror thing now, didn't you? So maybe that wasn't the right approach. Maybe we should have went about it a totally different way. But I digress from that. He tries to link Iran to the, quote, Islamist extremist mo- Islamic extremist movement. And he says they're the biggest supporter and funder of it. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on What was it? 15 of the 19 hijackers were from Saudi Arabia. It's Saudi Arabia who exports these radical Salafist mosques, which is, you know, Sunni extremist fundamentalism. He's trying to conflate because, again, if you know anything about politics in the Middle East, you know that Iran is Shia. Now, don't get me wrong, the government is a theocracy, which is unacceptable. And they do oppress their people, absolutely. Um, But they're Shia. And ISIS and al-Qaeda and that jihadist movement, which has targeted the West, that's a Sunni fundamentalist movement. That's a Salafist movement. So that's not, it's not even close to the same thing. In fact, quite the opposite. You know who's still fighting ISIS? Shia militias. Now you could say, hey, man, they've also done human rights atrocities and they have their own issues. Fair enough. But they are fighting each other. So this idea where he's trying to conflate ISIS and al-Qaeda and the attack on 9-11 with Iran, that's so low and so disgusting and so disingenuous that it's hard to even put into words how wrong that is and how fucked up that is. Because if somebody doesn't know the specifics of this uh. uh, of what we're talking about here, they could easily hear what Rudy Giuliani is saying and be like, "I guess Iran is like responsible for it." Not even close. Not even close. Not remotely. It's totally different ideologies we're talking about here. Um. And then he says Islamic terror groups are involved in the drug trade. Guys, just so you know. What motivates Muslim fundamentalist terrorists? Well, you know, some argue, hey, it's a reaction, it's a backlash to U.S. foreign policy, which destroyed their countries, and and it's, you know, it's fighting back for Palestine, which is still occupied by Israel, so on and so forth. That all plays a role. But you know what else it is? Their ideology, their religious ideology. It's not part of their ideology. They can't partake in a drug trade. That's not a thing. And the argument is that they're involved, the Islamic extremist groups are involved in the drug trade? How? How? Are we going to pretend like what? There's no language barrier between people in South America and people, you know, in Iraq and Afghanistan and Pakistan and Saudi Arabia? Are we going to act like they're really in some sort of business coordination with one another? No, they. Oh, these extremists would also view anybody in South America as infidels. <laughs> they're not – oh, my God, it's so shamelessly made up that I shouldn't even have to take the time to walk through this stuff to try to debunk it. By the way, no evidence has ever been presented on this front because it's total nonsense. And then finally, what does he do? He, he swoops in uh, Venezuela and Ecuador. He's like, well – I mean, they're – You know, we think that he's only a problem to his own people. No. He's working with the terrorists. How many times have I made this joke on Twitter initially of radical Venezuelan terrorism a while ago. And now they're literally trying to make that argument. This idea of, like, Maduro's going to attack us. By the way, I forget whether it was released on Amazon or Netflix or something, but there's this new show with John Krasinski coming out, and it's about uh, Venezuela trying to get a nuke. And the whole idea of the show is that, I think they even say it in the trailer, like, the evidence will come with a mushroom cloud of, like, Maduro attacking the United States. Are you kidding me? This is the same shit they said about Saddam. We can't wait for evidence, because that evidence could come in the form of a mushroom cloud over the United States. The idea that Maduro, that Venezuela... Would offensively attack the United States of America. That is sheer lunacy. They're a rinky dink gnat of a country with a military budget that's probably not even 1% of what we spend. They know they'd get obliterated. By the way, we're waging economic warfare against them. They ain't doing Dickie McGee's acts to us. Are you out of your mind? But it's propaganda on the next level where they're trying to hack, like, push this idea, this notion of, like, evil dictator bad. We must go topple him. And he's. And now it's not just like... Because people recently have tolerated that kind of argument. Like, well, I mean, I guess Maduro is kind of bad, isn't he? But that next step, which now they're actually trying to argue, which is, no, 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 not only is he bad, he wants to attack you. That's where even conservatives are like, <laughs> fuck off, that's not true. That's nowhere near true. Are you kidding? Who believe? Radical Venezuelan terrorists. Did you know Maduro is housing ISIS? I can't believe you just actually tried to make that point. And you think you're serious. By the way, Fox News totally lets him get away with it. Runs with it. I mean, just sheer rank propaganda network. Rudy Giuliani is on Fox, Fox News here, Fox and Friends exploiting the memory of 9/11 to try to do more regime change in countries totally unaffiliated with it. Wants to topple Iran, wants to topple Venezuela, trying to tie them in and blame 9/11 on them in a roundabout way. And say they're housing the people who do the
0: attacks. We are
1: Not only are the neocons immoral and wrong, they're also just incredibly stupid. I don't know how anybody can buy this. I feel bad for anybody who could buy what they're selling here. Because it is so far away from that which is true that, again, even a casual political observer has to go, that doesn't sound right, man. guys, I hate to break it to you, but we're the world's sole superpower, we're the empire, and we are the bully on the world stage. We just want to topple every government that doesn't submit to our corporate rule, to our dominance. So in this situation, doesn't mean Maduro isn't a bad guy against his own people, doesn't mean the you know, government of Iran is good, they're not, they're a brutal theocracy. So they could still be bad, but internationally speaking, where the bully, where in the wrong, and we just want to topple everybody who doesn't fall in line, and that should be more obvious to you now than ever. Because look at the lengths they go to, to try to build public support for a war with Venezuela, a war with Iran, covert methods of regime change, so on and so forth. And we are def- we are impacting these countries in a devastating way. By the way, we're violating international law repeatedly. We've sanctioned medicine going into Iran, and people are dying. We've stopped. Shipments of food from going into Venezuela, as our government argues, Maduro is me he's starving his people. He's starving his people, really. So why did you just stop a shipment of food from going in there? If you care about the Venezuelan people eating, wouldn't you be doing the opposite? Wouldn't you be sending more ships? Come on, man! God damn it! I hate these guys. They're so evil and so wrong. And so imagine this being your life. This is the legacy you're leaving behind. Wanting to. Attack, offensively attack and topple more countries and trying to blame these totally unrelated countries for what happened on 9 11. Shameful. Rudy Giuliani is a joke. Okay. Now Bet On My Stork is getting covered. So Emma Viglund of Rebel Headquarters spoke to Beto O'Rourke and asked him a pretty straightforward question. And of course he couldn't help himself. He gave a word salad answer. And I think this is one of the many reasons why he's stuck at 1% in the polls.
4: the audience asked you whether or not you support leveraging aid to Israel to end the Palestinian occupation, and you said that you uh, support leveraging our relationship with Israel. To clarify, does that mean supporting leveraging the billions of dollars in aid that we provide to Israel?
3: Yeah, I I think it's every aspect of our relationship with Israel. It's every aspect of our relationship with the Palestinian Authority. Um, our, Our goals should be, and it will be under my administration, to help produce a two-state solution to help produce, because we should have the humility of understanding that we cannot dictate that or bring it to pass of our own accord, that we will need uh, negotiating partners who will operate in in good faith uh, and and work from some kind of common ground to produce the result that we described, the the dignity of the people who live in that region, their ability to be uh, safe and secure in their homes and, and in their countries, and the United States has a very special relationship with Israel. The United States has an important relationship with the Palestinian Authority, and we should leverage those full relationships to make sure that we get that full result that I just described.
4: And does that include
3: the aid? The aid is part of that relationship.
1: I know he nominally gave the right answer there, but he didn't give the right answer. He's full of it. He 100% doesn't mean that. Because he tap danced around it. (laughs) That was the longest answer in human history for a very straightforward question. He said, um, uh, we need to leverage every aspect of our relationship with Israel and the Palestinian Authority to try to get to those ends. (laughs) Should we leverage our financial assistance to them in order to bring about a peaceful solution and his response was, we should leverage every aspect of our relationship with Israel and the Palestinian Authority. He ain't going to do Dickie McGee's acts, but it's okay because he's not going to be president either. <laughs> but yeah, nominally he's given the right answer. Of, yeah, sure, we'll leverage the uh, you know, financial stuff, but there's a reason why he talked around it massively. That's him trying to weasel his way out of it, wiggle out of it, not give a direct answer, be very vague, be very broad, use flowery language to try to really divert and op- obfuscate and deflect. And that's what he did. So, and again, it's just it's a word of advice to Beto O'Rourke, even though I don't know why I'd give him advice, <laughs> because I don't agree with him. Um, you're basically doing the opposite of what you should do in today's era in terms of politics. Um, you got to give, like, quick, direct answers, man. Nobody's buying your 1990s nonsense of, like, Talking around an answer and really trying to use 150 words when you could use 12. Nobody likes that anymore, man. It's a totally different political era. And he's lost in the wilderness. But then again, everything he does is uh, an attempt at a strategy. And he always picks the wrong one. I mean, originally when he was running against Ted Cruz, he surged in the polls. Why? Because he was trying to be like Bernie. And then later on in the campaign, he pumped the brakes on that and tried to be more centrist, to be more serious, and that's when he started tailing off. So even when he does the right thing and he says the right thing, it's usually a strategy. And when he does the wrong thing and says the wrong thing, it's a strategy. But one thing that he just can't bring himself to stop doing is being a sleazy politician who talks way too much. Just give a direct answer. If I'm asked that question, hey, should we leverage our financial relationship with Israel? Here's my answer yes. (laughs) We're going to try to force there to be a solution, and there's no better way to do that than with dollars and cents. That's it. Very simple. Israel has universal health care. We don't have universal health care here. Maybe they should give money to us. Ever thought of that? (laughs) That's it, man. What are you doing? Uh, I think we should uh, leverage every aspect of our relationship with Israel and uh, the Palestinian Authority. Wait, 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 You were asked about Israel. You brought up the Palestinian Authority. You were asked about Israel. I uh, uh, think we should leverage every aspect of our... Does that include the financial, uh, our financial connection with them? Uh, yeah, yeah, that's part of it. I would... Uh... Come on, dude. So I'll ask you guys. My interpretation of this segment is he's trying to bullshit his way out of the question, and he's talking around it, trying to make it more vague on purpose, and then even when he answers yes because the financial relationship is part of it, he's still trying to, like, tap dance around it and soften it because he's not going to do it if he gets in office. So what do you think? Will Beto O'Rourke, well, he's not going to be president, so I can't even ask this question. I'll just ask you what you think of the answer. Do you agree with my interpretation of it that even though he nominally gave the right answer, it's nonsense because he tried to not give the right answer? Because that's my interpretation of it. Or do you think, shut up, Kyle, just give him credit on this one thing because he did nominally say the right thing, even though he said it in an insane number of words? I'll ask you guys. But just from my perspective, I'm not even close to buying it because it seemed like he was trying so hard to not give a direct answer because he knows he's not going to do that. Let's talk about a little old cloud and a boot jar, cloud boot jar, cloud boot jar. You guys should um make like some some joking songs about all the candidates and the nicknames we gave them. I don't know how many of you are musically inclined out there, but like an Amy cloud boot jar song would be hilarious. That on my Stork song would be hilarious. I mean, come on, you can't. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'm just imagining it, and it's fucking hilarious to me. All right, uh, where's the video I'm looking for? right her. Emma Viglund of Rebel Headquarters asked Amy Klobuchar a great and substantive question here, and Amy reminded us why she's terrible, and she's polling very low.
4: Senator, I spoke to some of your supporters outside, and they really liked that you were a more moderate candidate compared to the other ones. But with the Green New Deal, with Medicare for All, these issues polling so well with the Democratic constituency, uh, how do you plan on uh, overcoming that and winning this primary?
6: Okay. So um, I consider myself a progressive in one important way. I like to make progress. Uh, I am the candidate that you'll see on that debate stage um, that has passed over. 100 bills as a senator um, with as the lead democrat in just the last few years including 34 since donald trump has been president i do believe i may be more moderate in tone uh, than some of the people running for office but i am betting that people don't want the loudest voice anymore they've had that right now that's the guy in the white house Uh, that they want someone who's going to be honest with them and tell them that no we're not going to erase rich kids college debt we're not going to do that even though some of my opponents Um, have put that forward um, as their proposal uh, because that's actually going to hurt the very people that we want to help and put more debt on their shoulders. Um, That we're going to do something to bring down health care costs and we're going to do it a smart way uh, by having a public option uh, so that we have a non-profit competitive option uh, to the insurance options that are out there. And that we will do no harm to people who want to keep their own current insurance uh, because under some of the plans out there, on page 8 of one of them, it actually says they would dismantle our entire health care system um, in four years. Uh, So no, I'm not for those. I don't think those are bold ideas. I think what's bold is actually getting something done for the people of this country. Um, So when they say that, that's fine. People can call me whatever they want. Um, It is true I don't swear in public a lot. I'll put it out there. But I think that a moderate uh, tone and someone who's willing to speak honestly is exactly what this country wants right
1: now. Mm, So why are you polling at 1%? If you're exactly what the country wants right now, why are you at 1%? Why is Delaney at 1%? Come to think of it, why is almost everybody except the person with the most name recognition who refs the ideology polling incredibly low? Question to ponder there, Amy jar. Okay, so there's a lot about this answer that pisses me off. And the thing that I still can't get over is this very basic fact that you'll notice this too. Pay close attention to when all of the centrists running make their arguments. Because I guarantee you, it's like it's written in the laws of nature that they are fundamentally incapable of just telling you what they're for and making an argument in favor of what they're for. They can't do it. She can't go out there and, in an answer, only talk about, hey, listen, here's my idea, here's what, here's what I'm in favor of, and here's why this is better. She can't do it. Now, compare and contrast that with Bernie. When Bernie gives a speech, when Bernie's asked a question, he can answer by only talking about the things he's in favor of. In fact, he tries to do that. Bernie makes a point of not trying to not go negative on other candidates. Now, you know, I'd argue in some instances he probably should go negative on other candidates, but he presents a positive vision for everybody. And in reality, that vision is what's called a social democratic vision. It's a mixed market economy. It's moving in a further left direction where you take basics off the table. It's a very appealing vision. And he makes the argument, he can do it in a succinct way, people understand it, people like it. You will never hear any centrist candidate go out there and argue for their position without also spending at least, like, 30% of the time, usually over 50% of the time, just telling you what they're not in favor of. Bernie doesn't have to do that with their shitty ideas, because they don't have any ideas. He doesn't have to, and here's why I'm against their ideas. No, he just tells you, I'm in favor of a Medicare for All system. You know, I'm in favor of free college. I'm in favor of eliminating student loan debt. I'm in favor of legalized marijuana. I'm in favor of ending the wars. He, all he does is tell you what he's for. He's giving you a positive vision. All the centrists Delaney and Cloud Boucher are the most, they have to tell you every time they talk, I'm against universal health care. I'm, I'm only for a public option. You know, I'm I'm against, what does she say? Um, I'm against erasing rich kid student loan debt. Listen. Look at how weasley their framing is. They, just can't, they can't just be honest and say, Bernie Sanders is in favor of eliminating all student loan debt. They can't be honest and say that because that makes it sound appealing. So what do you do? Fudge it a little. Lie a little. Highlight a part of it that you think is negative. By the way, you could use that argument to stop all progress. Well, I'm not in favor of giving a guaranteed payment to older rich people. What? Oh, you're talking about Social Security? Yeah, because even rich folks get Social Security. It's a universal program. But if you frame it like that, me, I'm against giving payments to older rich people. Why are you in favor of it? Because it's a universal program, and it's wildly successful in reducing poverty, and you're just using the fact that some rich people get it to gaslight everybody else, so you don't have to give it to the poor people either. So it's disingenuous, man. She's always going to tell, I'm against this, I'm against this, I'm against that, I'm against that. It's the same Delaney. I'm in favor of uh, real solutions, not impossible promises. You have to stop calling it impossible promises when every other developed country had these things. You can't say it's impossible. We know it's possible. Other countries have done it, and it's been wildly successful. So it's so frustrating because at the same time that we can't do this, we can't do this, we can't do this, these same assholes turn around, and Biden did this the other day. He said, we're America. We can do anything because we're... America, except apparently Medicare for all. We can't do that because you say we can't do that. Except apparently free college and eliminating student loan debt. We can't do that because you say we can't do that. So it's just whenever it's convenient, don't say we're America, we can do anything. But then when you say, well, how about Medicare for all? No, I don't know about that one. Come on, bro. The fuck? I mean, they're so full of shit, man. She goes, I like to make progress. Congratulations. You want a pat on the back? Everybody's in favor of new policies. I mean, you could argue some conservatives are like, just do absolutely nothing. But everybody's in favor of something. The question is, what kind of progress? Are we progressing to a slightly different neoliberal system, or are we progressing towards a social democracy? Those are very different things. And then she argues, well, I passed a lot of bills. What's in the bills? What's in the bills? Is it Wall Street deregulation? Probably. That's probably what she means. Yeah, you can get along with Republicans and deregulate Wall Street. That's a bad idea. Is it a new war? That's a bad idea. Does it, just because you pass a lot of bills isn't by definition a good thing. It depends what's in the goddamn bills. Um, And then she goes on to say, this is totally made up. People don't want the loudest voice. Well, Donald Trump won. He's the loudest voice. Bernie Sanders has the most grassroots support. He's the loud voice. Perhaps you're just wrong. And perhaps your mild-mannered nonsense is not getting you anywhere. People don't want the loudest voice. She's just making stuff up and saying, well, I I think people don't want that. Well, then why are you at 1%? It's just... "Mm." And then finally... And this is the most important point. It's funny because these centrist Democrats sound a lot like Republicans, don't they? And you heard it at the end there. They want to dismantle our entire health care system. He never said dismantle our entire health care system. Biden has put forth his lie, too, this idea that – and he did it in an ad where he's exploiting his son's death, man, for political reasons. They try to pretend like everybody in favor of Medicare for All is first in favor of repealing Obamacare and then moving to a Medicare for All system. No, Bernie Sanders and everybody who supports Medicare for All, nobody has ever, ever, ever said, first we repeal Obamacare, then we do that. No. It's viewed as the next logical step, the logical progression. So, okay, we took one step in the right direction, Obamacare. That was better than nothing. Then from there you evolve over a two-year period or four-year period, depending on which bill you look at, Jai Paul or Bernie, and you go from that to a public option to Medicare for all. That's the logical progression. But they act like that's not a progression, that that's, oh, you're repealing Obamacare, so you're just anti-Obamacare. You want to take everybody's health care away. You want to, quote, dismantle our entire health care system. No, they want to make it better, and they want to give everybody health care. These are disingenuous talking points. Man, they're lies, and they sound a hell of a lot like the Republicans. So again, Amy, maybe that's why you're at 1%. You should stop embarrassing yourself and drop out because your ideology is not the ideology of the future. It's the ideology of the past. And that's why Donald Trump is president. Now, let me give you the, oh, wait, wrong one. Okay, we'll go to this one. We'll go to the prosperity gospel one. I really like this story, and you'll see why. It's definitely a feel-good story. So there's an evangelist by the name of Benny Hinn. Actually, it's probably more appropriate to call him a televangelist because he's on TV. Um, It's kind of like the definition of it. But he shocked the Christian world recently because he was one of the biggest proponents of this thing called the prosperity gospel, and he flipped. So for those who don't know, I'll just lay it out very simply. The prosperity gospel is almost like you take Christianity and you take capitalism and you try to marry them, and you act like Jesus is in favor of you being wealthy, you having material goods, and you living. It's almost like you mix. Kind of like those self-help gurus with Christianity. So instead of actually preaching the the message of Jesus Christ in most of his good moods in the New Testament, you just kind of pretend like that's not what the Bible is about, and the Bible is all about self-improvement, you know, consumerism, materialism, and you know, making it in the rat race of life. So that's the idea of the prosperity gospel. Um, So this guy, Benny Hinn, used to promote it. That's his whole thing. And then this happened.
2: So it's all about our brokenness, our old man. We call that the flesh. Must be broken. Must be out of the way. And today, sadly among a lot of circles, all you hear is how to build the flesh. It's a feel-good message. That's what you hear out there. It's all about feel good, do good, all that. Make money, all the rest of it. And I'm sorry to say that prosperity has gone a little crazy. And I'm correcting my own uh, uh, theology and you need to all know it because when I read the Bible now I don't see the Bible in the same eyes I saw the Bible 20 years ago and Steve Strang from Charisma whom we go back years he actually he was at my wedding people don't even know that Charisma magazine began with my father-in-law Charisma Magazine started with Roy Harlan, and I married his daughter. So Steve Strang was in in my wedding. We go way back, and he's already asked me, said, Are you ready to make it public? I said, Well, not totally, because I don't want to hurt my friends or my love who believe things I don't believe anymore. And I will tell you now something that is going to shock you. I think it's an offense to the Lord. It's an offense to say, give a thousand dollars. I think it's offense to the Holy Spirit to place a price on the gospel. I'm done with it. I will never again ask you to give a thousand or whatever amounts because I think the Holy Ghost is just fed up with it. Are you Did you hear me? I think that hurts the gospel. So I'm making this statement for the first time in my life, and frankly, I don't care what people think about me anymore. So I, I, I had a guy, well, I'll tell you who. It was Dan Willis. I, I, I love Dan with all my heart. I said, don't you dare preach that message again. Just a few days I said, no, no, I'm not going to hear it. I don't want to be a part of it. So I, when they invite me to telephones, I think they will not like me anymore.
0: <laughs>
2: because if you look at the Word of God, I don't want to get into it now. Am I shocking you? Good. Let's have a high five on this one. If I hear one more time, break the back of debt with a $1,000, I'm going to rebuke them. I I think that's buying the gospel, that's buying the blessing, that's grieving the Holy Spirit. That's about all I will say. If you are not giving because you love Jesus, don't bother giving. I think giving has become such a gimmick, it's making me sick to my stomach. And I've been sick for a while too, I just couldn't say it. And now the lid is off.
0: I've
2: had it. You know why? I don't want to get to heaven and be rebuked. No, I think it's time we say it like it is. The gospel is not for sale. And the blessings of God are not for sale. And miracles are not for sale. And prosperity is not for sale.
1: Damn. See, this is interesting because I'm actually very curious about what happened behind the scenes here. Because I have a sneaking suspicion that there's more to the story than he's letting on. That there may, might be some, like, personality clashes behind the scenes, infighting with other pastors or whatever... Um, you know, maybe some other financial issues that were going on with other uh, people who he's worked with, but I I should be clear that a lot of these prosperity gospel folks, what they do is, may not only preach like this hybrid of Christianity and capitalism, they also tell the audience like, oh, if you give me money, then, you know, you'll get miracles and blessings, and Jesus will love you, and so you gotta keep giving, give more, 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 more to the pastor. Now, it's just a more raw version of what I would say standard religion is because that is the way a lot of these religions work, work where it's like, you know, they want you to give to the the organized church. You know, you can be a religious person and not go to whatever your practice may be, but for the ones who do go to their practice, they know sometimes, you know, when I was a kid and I had to go to Catholic church, they, were, they would pass around a basket. And you're supposed to put some money in the basket, a couple bucks in the basket or whatever. So, I don't know, the prosperity gospel is just a more raw example of that, more straightforward example of that, where, you know, they they really go over the top with it. Now, this guy, Benny Hinn, uh, according to the article I read about this, he's a multimillionaire, like, up to $100 million he made through this. So, it's a little weird that, like, after you made your $100 million, now you're <laughs> changing your mind? Like, did he know this for a long time, that this whole thing was bullshit, and then he just decided now to come out with it? Like, how long did he feel like it was bullshit where he was still getting these donations? and Like, it's just mighty convenient that now after he has $100 million, he flips. But however, having said that, you always want to incentivize people to take, you know, see the light and take the proper position. And now he's definitely converting to like a less harmful version of his religion. And yeah, I mean, listen, that's the problem with with Christianity and with honestly, most religions is this, it's more of a Rorschach test because you could pick whatever you want from the religion and then pretend like that represents your religion. That's for the, the same reason you can see somebody like Martin Luther King Jr. be a wonderful Christian, but then you also see right-wing fundamentalists like Jerry Falwell, not the young one, the dad, not the one who's in the news today because he's apparently super horny all the time and he was bragging about his sex life. I know, incredibly creepy. But his dad, so, or like Pat Robertson, like, it's one of those things where you could just use the the religious ideology and pick whatever you want cherry pick and then bolster what your feelings already are um, but I guess it's good that you have more people moving away and one of the prominent televangelists and prosperity gospel people moving away from it because yeah it's just it's nonsense listen if they want if you just wanted to be like a a secular person who's trying to help people and you want to preach this idea of like you know maximal self-improvement and, and always be dedicated and always work hard and, you know, find a way to make it in this rat race of life and climb your way up that economic ladder. If you want to be a non-religious version of that, it's free country, man. You do whatever you want. And maybe you've got, like, a Tony Robbins-type character or something like that or even a Jordan Peterson half the time because he's big on this whole, like, clean your room and, and you know, take, take care of your own business and, and whatnot. That's all fine and daddy. But I think the thing that made it extra gross in the case of the prosperity gospel was that they were using Christianity to try to make that argument, and that's just not – it's just so foreign to what most of the New Testament is about and most of what Jesus is about. You know, he's the opposite. he give, give everything away and go help the poor type stuff. And their ideology was like, no, try to get rich, and Jesus wants you to be rich. So, whatever. Uh, anyway, I guess good for him for changing his mind, and uh, it would be awesome. Imagine if from here on out he just continues to call out the other – prosperity gospel folks that'd be pretty badass because some of them are really shitty some of them um, who's that guy who bought the plane he bought a private plane and he did it with donations from his his listeners and he said Jesus wants me to fly in it because he doesn't want me in a tube with demons talking about flying in a normal airline so uh, I don't know he's seen the light and I'd love to see some more exposes here On the other people in his dirty, dirty business. Okay. All right, let's do our final story. So the Republican Party is in panic mode, and uh, they're trying to get rid of some folks who are big players within the party. According to Raw Story, GOP desperately trying to dump the dregs of the party over fears of another election wipeout. After losing big in the 2018 midterms, high-ranking members of the Republican leadership are looking at, looking hard at the re-election prospects of several candidates, including several who are under criminal indictment, I guess like Duncan Hunter, and are actively encouraging challengers to take on the incumbents. As GOP strategist Liz Mayer put it, You have a lot of people who have been concerned for many, many months now about finding some way of getting rid of some of these guys. There is a sense that we either clean house or Democrats take those seats. A particular concern to Republicans is the seat held by embattled Representative Steve King, a Republican of Iowa, whose fortunes took a turn for the worse after he made a bizarre defense of rape and incest as a way to keep white populations up. Oh, boy. Now, here's the only problem with this story. This is something I tweeted about as well. You have people like Liz Cheney being the ones that take the lead here and are saying, calling out Steve King, want Steve King gone, you know, and she's not hiding it. She's being very vocal about it. But my whole thing is like, okay, Liz Cheney and Steve King are different. Steve King probably reps the anti-immigration pretty openly racist stuff a lot more than Liz Cheney does. But Liz Cheney reps the, you know, let's do endless wars stuff a lot more than Steve King does. So I would argue, in fact, very vociferously, they're equally evil, albeit for different reasons. So for Liz Cheney to think like, oh, we got to get rid of the dregs of the party. Well, you're the dregs of the party as well. So what do you mean? Like, this idea of, like, well, you got the good Republicans here and then the bad Republicans here. Understand something, guys. The problem with Steve King and the problem with the Duncan Hunters and the Louis Gohmerts, who are probably some of the people who they want to get rid of, is just they're not coded enough to the Liz Cheney's. So, of course I know that, you know, Liz Cheney's probably thinking this. Like, of course I know that we're against abortion in all circumstances, full stop. However, come on, Steve King, you can't just come out and say it. Of course, I agree with Steve King that we need a border wall and we got to totally shut down the border. But come on, Steve King, you can't say like the pretty obviously white nationalist arguments that you said. You can't do that. So it's, it's a matter of how you dress it up, how you put the lipstick on a pig to people like Liz Cheney. Like, Donald Trump, in many ways, is the Republican id. He just said, he dropped the coded language, and he just said the shit that so many in the base were thinking. And now, they're trying to put the cat back in the bag, and they're going to struggle to. Because, what, you're going to go back to a Mitt Romney-style Republican Party? Well, I got news for you. Minus, like, the tariffs stuff, they're exact, he's exactly the same as Trump. He just dresses up his nonsense more. He just uses some flowery language and doesn't come out and say the anti-immigrant stuff in as vicious a way. So it's just, it's funny to me that you have, like, in Liz Cheney's mind, she's like, well, there's good Republicans and there's bad Republicans. Really? What is substantively the difference in terms of the policies? There really isn't one. There isn't. It's just you don't like that he shoves his foot in his mouth and is too honest from time to time, and you think that makes the rest of you look bad. Liz, (laughs) You look bad on your own. <laughs> it's not like Steve King dragged you down. When you defend your war criminal, bloodthirsty father every time you open your mouth, when you defend massive tax cuts and deregulation every time you open your mouth, it's like when she came out and argued after Trump tried to say, like, Ilhan Omar sports 9-11 or whatever, and Al-Qaeda. She went out there and argued, like, no, no, no. The reason we disagree with the squad is all because of policy. Yeah, I'm sure. So, anyway... If you're trying to purge the party, you're going to have to purge the entire party in Washington, D.C., because you're all incredibly loathsome. That, again, that's not saying anything about the voters necessarily. It's to say about the Republican establishment and the people who are acting like they're outsiders, like the Steve Kings and the Donald Trumps. But fundamentally, you guys agree on policy, so I don't really buy your, oh, we're going to purge the party because you know, we're afraid Democrats will win. Wait until you find out that the things you hate about Steve King and Donald Trump, that's, that's not the bug. That's the feature. That's what they, people love about them. That's what the base loves about them. So they're going to be in for a little surprise. and like, oh, goodness. Wait, what? Oh, so you guys, you guys like that he's an absolute madman and, like, openly racist and says insane things? Wow. Yeah, I could have told you that that's the case. <laughs> now, it'll be a different story, by the way. If the party totally abandons him, which they might now, and he gets no funding, then he could be in trouble. But not necessarily for ideological reasons, for more structural reasons in terms of being abandoned by the entire Republican infrastructure. That's a different story. And that's what they're hinting at, like we're going to abandon him. But point is, at some point he will be replaced by somebody very Steve King-esque. And as long as he codes his words the next time, the next Steve King... They'll have no problem with them. Okay. All right, y'all, we done-zo, we done-zo. So So the next show is on Friday. It is not on Thursday, and it's going to be a little bit later. Okay, it's going to be a little bit later than usual because I'm going to need a a little bit of extra time to make sure everything's done in terms of prep after the debate. So i got to get all my ducks in a row, got to get all my videos in a row, and then we'll do a substantive debate breakdown. Debate is on Thursday night, so the next show will be Friday, probably around 1 o'clock Eastern time. But anyway, love you guys. Uh, we'll talk soon. Everybody have a wonderful rest of your day. Peace.